0: Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Maithri podcast Between Friends Conversations with Maithri. This is your host, Nandini Ray, welcoming you all to our show. While men have always played an important role in shaping public policies and community awareness in many areas, domestic violence prevention often remains ignored within this group. But how do we engage South Asian men in the movement? Today, my colleague and uh, my longtime advocate, Zaki Afrin, will have a conversation with Suresh about South Asian men's engagement in the movement to end domestic violence. It is my honor to introduce uh, Suresh. Um, As a community leader and activist, uh, Suresh is vocal on social justice issues, including domestic violence, gun control, um, LGBTQ rights, religious and caste based discriminations, environmental rights, and racism in all shapes and forms. Prior to joining the partnership board, Suresh uh, served as a member of the board of trustees at Maitri for three years, and he participated actively in issues critical to addressing domestic violence in general and within the South Asian community in specific. He also played an instrumental role in helping Maitri to bring men into difficult conversations around domestic violence. A product executive with more than 25 years of experience in enterprise software, Suresh is a writer, avid hiker, dog lover, amateur actor, and environmentally conscious. Please meet Zakia Afrin. Zakia has been an advocate for immigrant women at Maitri for over 16 years and currently serves as the Director of Survivor Advocacy Programs at Maitri. She is a Senior Fellow and Adjunct Professor of International Law at Golden Gate University in San Francisco. Zakia represents clients with their immigration needs and drives Maitri's policy advocacy efforts, uplifting the voices of immigrant survivors. She founded Aditya in 2020, a social and cultural platform for the Bangladeshi diaspora in the US. Thank you,
1: Suresh, for finding the time to be with us today. Uh, In June, many of us are celebrating healthy fatherhood and male role models who respect women and people of all genders, not only that, they also actively engage in gender-based violence prevention movement. So I'm truly delighted to have you uh, with us today. Welcome.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Zakia. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, participate in, uh, in whatever way I can to advance the cause that uh, Maitri and uh, you all have been working for multiple decades now.
1: Thank you, Suresh. So I will get started with a recent listening session that Maitri has done uh, on marital rape and consent in intimate relationships. So as you know, we were trying to find out how our South Asian community feel about the current legislation in California on marital rape and how has been their experience about consent in intimate relationships, learning about it from their experiences and where they stand uh, when it comes to teaching it to the new generation. And Suresh, you have played a very important role for us uh, right from the beginning, providing us with inputs in questions and also agreeing to facilitate our male community member sessions Uh, which unfortunately, as we saw, had only one participant. Uh, Even though we reached out to over 10,000 community members through various medias, we did not have people sign up to come and talk to us about this. So I I want to know your thoughts about this topic. Uh, Why do you think that men are not interested to join this conversation? Or in general, why do we see so few men in the domestic violence prevention movement?
2: It's a very insightful question, Zakia. As I was thinking about it as you were outlaying the question, I think two or three key thoughts popped up in my mind. I will kind of focus it a little more on the South Asian male rather than uh, men in general, but I think some of what I am saying will be very applicable to men in general. Domestic violence is viewed today in 2023 somewhat differently from what it was a decade before that and a further decade before that. 20-30 years ago, we would simply not even acknowledge the ills of domestic violence. Instead, the family would uh, conveniently uh, shove the issues under the rug and then uh, behave as if everything was normal. Today, that is not exactly the case. There are more number of people who are coming out seeking for help. There are more women who are moving from victims to survivors. And this reflects in the amount of calls that... uh, maitri gets number of people maitri gets uh, directly is involved in helping all of these things indicate the uh, the fact that like dv is somewhat different today however one of the most important things that is uh, kind of understated here is that while dv is a little more openly talked about who are actually the people who are doing it it is not men it is women who are victims, who want to become survivors, they are the ones who are coming out. They are saying enough is enough. We want to get help. We want to lead our life with dignity. As far as men, especially men in my generation, which is baby boomers, they tend to live in a very different world. They have focused largely on materialism. They have focused on capitalism. They have focused on patriarchy. They have hardcore views on all of those things. And they have had little or no incentive to change those points of view. I myself had to go through a a series of unlearning and relearning over the last 10, 15 years of my biases to reach the point where I am. And yes, today I can call myself a feminist, but like I couldn't have called myself a feminist 15 years ago if I had continued to pursue the materialistic interests that I have, that I have had. Most people who come to this country do that. And for many men of South Asian origin, they never choose to change their points of view at all. And uh, something has to trigger for them to make that shift in the point of view change. Maybe they have daughters. Maybe they have a wonderful wife that, uh, who would challenge them. Maybe they have uh, a direct reason to connect with the problem. Maybe they're not getting those opportunities. And if they are not getting those opportunities, they tend to be indifferent at best and ignorant at worst. You know, there is the, there's another angle through which I can, another lens through which I can view this problem. Now, we can talk about all of this thing from the from the axis of empathy. Empathy is possible uh, direct to, to people with whom we are directly connected, far more than people with whom we are not directly connected. I'm going to read out a quote here from one of the articles I, I read. The article's title is Does Empathy Have Limits? And this is a very significant quote. We are not psychologically constituted to feel towards a stranger as we feel towards someone we love. We are not capable of feeling a million times worse about suffering of a million than about the suffering of one. Empathy essentially is a zero-sum game. It is very exhausting. And... uh, and unless there is a real reason for people to feel empathy towards others, such as it is a, there's an issue that directly affected them, maybe uh, someone in their near family experienced it, and therefore they have a shift of opinion, and, and then they start showing empathy towards people in that, in that community, in that cause. Men tend to continue to live in ignorance of, or being indifferent to the problem that they know that exists, which is which is domestic violence. This is somewhat different for the current generation. So as we move from my generation to, to the millennials and the current generation, there is a significant shift in the way their minds have been wired, both young men, women, and of all gender. For them, They can accept gender without judgment. For them, social equity is the norm. And for them, empathy towards others comes more easily than it is for people of the older generation. And it is in them we should have hope that, like, you know, there is going to be a shift possible. In them, I mean, I specifically would like to think that the young, men second generation south asian men in this country i have more hope in them that they would accept the fact that like domestic violence is a real problem they would have more empathy because they are willing to talk about it and like i said like they accept gender without judgement they accept people without judgement and and they somehow understand equity is more meaningful rather than the uh, the materialistic driven pursuits of uh, of the previous generation
1: not agree with you more being a parent of two young children I can see how they are thinking differently than us responding differently to some of the stressors that we have had during our uh, young years and we continue to have and there is a lot of hope there you said a lot of great things uh Suresh and a lot is there to unpack there is more acknowledgement now of domestic violence than before, but we also see who are the people who are bringing it to the fora, right? Who are bringing this problem in front of everybody? It's the women, mostly majority of the victims, survivors, advocates, uh, activists are women in this issue. And then men need The willingness to unlearn all of this toxic masculinity and all of the biases that have been taking roots within our communities for so long, now that they have to also make that conscious choice to unlearn, to change their behavior. Um, So I, I also want to ask then, of course we have hope for the youth, but what do we do with our generation? How do we encourage them to get involved?
2: Our best bet would be to use the youth to do the job for us. I think if young men, uh, boy, uh, a boy or a girl in the family or or anybody of any gender, if they challenge their parents, I think we have a better shot at affecting some shift in their viewpoint. I think when whenever somebody gets involved with a cause, today it happens because personal relationship. So when I was in the board of Maitri, I would invite people to the gala and uh, they would show up. But they show up because I invited them. They show up because of some kind of an obligation to me. They show up not because of, uh, of the cause that they have, which is like maitri and domestic violence uh, uh, as a problem that needs to be solved. I think, sh- so That that's an example where, like, I think if they if we are able to have affected their involvement in the cause rather than the person who is inviting them to the cause, then I think we would be better suited at uh, having a more successful shift in the, in the mind of them. And I think the Youth will be our real best bet to make it happen. We can sit and uh, talk as much as we want and uh, try to create literature, uh, educational brochures, broadcasts, etc. But I think if these, if this podcast is listened to by the parent as well as the child, I think it's going to be far more powerful than they just dealing with it by themselves. That's one thought that I have definitely.
1: That's a brilliant idea. And I I hope that uh, we can take this uh, from you, take this advice uh, and uh, try to see how we engage our children in all these very important conversations for the community in general, not just for one generation or the other. These are issues we all need to address uh, going forward Um, and also looking backwards, acknowledging the problem, taking responsibility for it, and then making sure that there is accountability for the future um, that nobody engages in this kind of relationship, uh, abuses, and create a healthy community for everybody. Now, you mentioned uh, serving on the Maitri board. And I, I also want to just um, say a few words for, for our listeners that you have been member of the Maitri board of trustees for a few years and you have played a very important role in not only bringing new people, but with your ideas, with your leadership, um, you try to uh, create a new energy Um, around the um, organization. Now, from there, you have also now reached the mainstream uh, domestic violence prevention movement. Um, You have been on the board of the California Partnership to End Domestic Violence, which is an umbrella organization uh, for the state of California with all of domestic violence organizations being members um, of it uh, for a few years. Um, I want to hear a little bit from you about your experience in as a board member in a mainstream um, organization. And um, what what did you see that was different from, let's say, a culturally responsive organization in terms of priorities or any other thoughts that you'd like to share with us?
2: Thank you, Sakya, to uh, uh, make that shift towards... Uh the partnership, or uh, the California Partnership to End Domestic Violence. That, as you introduce, it's a statewide organization with uh, various number of organizations, of which Maitri is one of them. Together, they try to address issues that are the problem of uh, domestic violence. And the thing that attracted me towards them is like, you know, they said like their goal is to really end domestic violence. A all order, uh, given how patriarchal the society is but highly desirable aspirational goal and uh, it is very different from how that partnership and its operations are compared to what maitri uh, does maitri of course when i was there I, I i had a very tangible feeling about like the direct impact it made on the uh, on the clients it served Sitting in this board, this is primarily a role of governance. So we are looking at the operations of uh, how the the larger organization exists and uh, and little less connected to uh, the uh, movement itself per se directly. But even that aside, like you now there are certain things that is very visible. I think one of the key things that uh, the partnership does is creating policies. That can benefit everybody. Now, I think that is actually a very significant role the partnership plays, which is, uh, which is carving out policies, which is how I think we can effect changes in in some larger sense. We talked about how are they culturally responsive? Um, more than cultural responsiveness, what I have seen from them is a desire for equity across the board. The last couple of years, let's take a quick look at like what they did as far as policy advocacy is concerned. In 2022, they sponsored and won four goals, which um, the SB 914 Senate Bill 914 addressed homelessness. And you and I know that like you know uh, how homelessness creates unhoused or uh, unhoused women. 57% of the women who are unhoused are there because of domestic violence. And so when, when they brought up the SB 914 to address homelessness, they are in effect addressing DV in some extent. They were working with SB 1017, which is to provide eviction, protection from eviction for DV survivors. SB 975, provides protection from coerced debt for survivors and financial abuse is one of the uh, ways in which DV perpetrators continue to actually do domestic violence and so 975 gives them a gives them a protection from any kind of coerced debt that victims may be forced into and debut seventeen twenty six which was providing an average confidentiality program. again, crucial for the need to stay safe at home for dV survivors. All of them are excellent initiatives, but they are not tuned to any specific culture or any specific ethnic group. They are they are they cut across all all ethnic groups, cut across all all kinds of uh, uh, people uh, and. Uh, and so it's uh, it's an effort. They're all laudable efforts, but, uh, but they focus on equity more than equity and protection for everybody rather than something that is culturally responsive. Uh, and let's just also look at briefly what we did this year, right? Like we focused on a couple of acts, uh, AB 1497, which is Justice for Survivors, and uh, SB 36, California Safe Haven. They're very similar to the ones that that I talked about in a little more detail about twenty twenty two, but if we want to do something more culturally responsive, if we want to do something more at a policy level for uh, for people from outside, we probably need to talk about problems that are very unique to uh, to certain uh, certain member organizations. I know you are very. Uh, vocal about transnational abandonment. I haven't had anybody in uh, the in the partnership talk about uh, transnational abandonment at a policy level in the in in yet but I can hope that like they will do it at some point in time in the future because this will directly impact people who are who come into this country uh, typically from the South Asian countries and then abandoned here and uh, these kind of issues focusing on immigration, etc needs to happen from the partnership and this is going to happen only by representation i by representation i mean from within the uh, the partnership you should have a champion or as a part of uh, of many of the councils that the, the partnership has there should be a champion who can drive these things to bring visibility into it and subsequently create actionable plan for them. And and, and until that happens, uh, I think some of these issues will probably lag behind the the issues that are more relevant to people, mainstream domestic violence survivors.
1: Thank you Suresh for um, talking about uh, the policy advocacy that happens at the um, mainstream level. And as you probably know, I'm a member of the Policy Advisory Council For CPDV. And uh, one of the things that I try to always um, bring up is how um, a bill could always, uh, if there is any component to it, it can ensure language access for all groups of people. If there is any angle that can either harm or benefit immigrant survivors, I like to mention that. And you know, bring it to the discussion table. And sometimes there are disagreements just because of these cultural responsiveness services that we focus on. That discussion also happens and we kind of hear each other out. We have uh, disagreements, but then we also appreciate each other's point of view. So uh, this is very important for us to be at those discussion tables, like you correctly mentioned. Uh, And not all the time to um, get what we want to get out of it, but also to learn about priorities for everybody. Like when uh, equity is being championed, it actually serves everybody, every survivor out there, irrespective of their uh, culture and immigration status and others. Uh, So definitely we appreciate all of that. And uh, like you mentioned that we have been, advocating for transnational abundant uh, clients and some benefits from that. Uh, We talk about immigration issues and uh, these things keep coming up, but um, not so much at the state level. And we don't see much uh, support from um, all of the agencies because of the small number of people a bill may affect. Uh, But we are there and we will continue to um, you know, uplift the voices of survivors that we are serving, and uh, thank you for your service at the board level as well. You are probably the first South Asian male members that they have had, uh, so that that's a, that's the first, and um, um, I hope that more people, male and female or and other genders, they get encouraged to join this kind of. Um, discussions represent their voices in policymaking spaces to make the whole uh, survivor environment better than it is. Now, um, I'm going towards a completely different direction now and um, this is more about uh, your personal uh, achievement. You have taken a very early retirement, uh, if I may say so. And since then you have been writing. Uh, You were writing for uh, the Fair Observer, uh, many articles and blogs, uh, and then you kind of switched to writing novels. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. And I must mention that at least two of your books, which were written in Tamir, uh, your native language, um, have very strong female leads. So can you can you talk about this um, switch in your uh, interest and um, about your novels?
2: That's one of my favorite topics, Zakia. Like, yeah, so thank okay. you <laughs> for giving me the opportunity to indulge. Um, I did uh, uh, move away from uh, the uh, active uh, Silicon Valley tech way of living. I hate to use the word uh, phrase rat race, but uh, but that's what I stepped away from. And uh, I had always wanted to write, even from when I was very young. I had always wanted to write, and uh, and I discovered that I have some degree of skills to to do it. So I started writing about various socioeconomic issues in English, and uh, I think I published close to about like a fifty uh, about fifty articles in Fair Observer, and. Uh, Writing that many articles sometimes numb you. I think uh, after all of that, I continue to see exactly the same kind of stuff repeating over and over again. I had written so much about gun violence, and did it matter? Because like it's just sometimes it would feel like you're just shouting in an echo chamber. Because it the kind of gun violence that continues to happen even today, the number of killings that happen unnecessary. Killings that happen is just, it's just really so sad. And so it is the same with any kind of issue that I had worked with in uh, in uh, in Fair Observer. And uh, it it cost me, uh, uh, it gave me a reason to take pause and then like see what else could I do. And I wanted to see if I could rekindle my interest in writing in Tamil. Having lived in this country for almost of three plus uh, into the fourth decade and where the, my thinking itself is happening in english i was wondering if i could actually successfully write in tamil and uh, one thing led to the other and uh, and today i have published three books uh, two fiction and one uh, one non fiction and uh, and like you, like you point out the, the first one first book published was a novel that is set in the in the city of uh, Hyderabad, India, and it talks about a romantic interest between a Hindu girl and a Muslim boy. So even though I shifted away from talking about socioeconomic issues, even my novels or uh, uh, fictional writing continue to dwell on the same serious topics. So the 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 one that I dealt with is the irrational hatred. Uh, Hindus and Muslims have towards each other and uh, and that exists even today. And it is a little more pronounced because of the uh, way in which uh, things happen in India, uh, the kind of administration that is there in India today. And this book actually tries to delve into some of the uh, the emotional aspects of of, of the, uh, the irrational hatred, juxtaposing it in the context of uh, a Hindu girl and a Muslim boy. And uh, the second book that I published, it's uh, it's an anthology of short study collections. And uh, I ended up dealing with uh, issues that are very unique to women, uh, domestic violence, sexual abuse, and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's actually not a very easy book to read. It deals with really uh, difficult topics. And, and one of the reasons that I was motivated to write that thing was obviously that... Uh, uh, if if you at least write it in the form of a fiction perhaps it will connect and strike a chord with a different set of people and uh, the the dozen stories are are there there are a couple of things i ended up doing it like as a as a writer i would experiment i try to experiment writing a story with just 50 words in 50 words can you communicate something uh, powerful uh, and then, like at uh, uh, the other end of the uh, spectrum, is is a five thousand word quote unquote short story, or it could border on a novella. So I experimented various things in between them. In in, in these things, I come I dealt with uh, uh, childhood sexual abuse. I dealt with uh, uh, other kinds of issues that women uniquely face: betrayal, violence, domestic violence, and. Uh, but I also know that, like not all men are like that, and therefore there are a couple of stories which uh, portray men in in a in a positive light or in a, in in the neutral to positive light. There, so it has been a very uh, fulfilling um, portion of my uh, portion of my life to have been able to to uh, to a write these things and b go through the U- usual obstacles and brand new writer faces when you uh, when you try to uh, to get yourself published and uh, and I was fortunate in the li- in the largest game of things I was fortunate because I was able to find a publisher with whom I could connect uh, without uh, an inordinately long amount of search and, and that too sitting in America finding a publisher in China, India is not not the easiest. So, so, yeah, I think that journey has gone off very interestingly, and, uh, and they are predominantly female lead-based uh, studies. They also touch upon social equity and stuff like that, and uh, it'll be uh, somewhat bitter sarcastic look at these social equity issues that exist. One story I remember is, uh, talks about how overpaid some of the tech workers are and uh, how much they get to enjoy <laughs> uh, versus, uh, versus others who uh, who do very good job, yet they, uh, they barely scrape things and then make ends meet, right? So I did deal with a couple of those kind of issues, but uh, but yeah, they are all predominantly female lead based stories dealing with women's issues.
1: Okay, if I if I read some harsh reviews of your work, I would know who are writing it. Now, <laughs> uh, Suresh, I I wish that. I could read Tamir and I read these stories and your novels. I believe people can find them in the United States, in various libraries and other places. Could you tell us where somebody can look for your work?
2: Yeah, yeah. Uh, You you said, uh, I I will definitely answer that, but like before that you said like harsh criticism. Uh, The Santa Clara County Library has... Both my books and my third book, which is which I published really earlier this year, is also there. It's a nonfiction. We will come to that book, but um, the first two, the first one is called Velicham, which is a novel, and the second one is called Tandavarlam, which is uh, the short story collection. And uh, both of them are available in Santa Clara libraries, right? Except so there's a suite of them.
1: So wish you all the best with your uh, future endeavors. And uh, thank you once again uh, for spending some time with me. We'll put the links of the CPDV work you did, uh, your books and um, also your blog writings uh, with this interview so that people can read some of the stuff that uh, you have um, you have worked on. Um, I absolutely love the English writings uh, and um, look forward to more from you um, both in English and of course um, in Tamil um, that add to the the diverse language collections that um, the US libraries have and people have more access to their own uh, languages. So uh, Suresh before leaving, any last thoughts?
2: I just want to simply thank you Zakia for this opportunity to uh to share my thoughts and viewpoints with uh, you and uh, the folks that uh, Maitri is able to reach out to. I think these are really, really important topics as to why South Asian men are not as plugged in on their uh, on an issue as important as domestic violence. They also need to understand that like there are organizations like the Partnership exists that ex- help at a state level everybody. Maybe there could be somebody else who would uh, who throw their hat in and then join the join the partnerships board in a future point in time to uh, to effect some more shift and uh, and yes if if anybody if, if through all of this means if anybody is going to be reading my books nothing could make me more happier
1: <laughs> absolutely I hope people uh, get introduced to you and uh, read some of these wonderful wonderful things uh, that you have created. So I'll let you go for today. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. And uh, we look forward to you joining us in the
0: domestic violence prevention movement.
2: Thank you very much, Zakia.
0: Thank you, Suresh and Zakia, for this great, insightful uh, discussion. I'm sure this discussion will motivate many men in our community to think about this issue and to do their part. Listeners, please share this episode with your networks. Um, bye for now. Please keep listening to the Maitri podcast, Between Friends, Conversations with Maitri. Find all our episodes on YouTube, SoundCloud, and on other podcast ads. Uh, please like, share, and comment. Um, share this episode with your network. Thank you. This show is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice. Always consult an attorney for legal advice.
1: Views expressed by guests of the radio show are individual opinions and not endorsed by minorities.
0: This project was made possible by funding provided by Santa Clara County Office of Gender-Based Violence Prevention.